Amen. Good morning, you love church. I have a question for you. What things do you hate? What do you hate? There was a newspaper that did a survey and they found the top 100 things that people hate. Maybe some of these you would say you hate as well. Here's a list. When people drive too closely behind you on the road. Call centers. Slow Wi-Fi. Yeah, and I'll add a slow PC. Nothing can make me lose my joy more than a computer where you have to click and then go make coffee before anything opens, right? Um, paper cuts. Anyone here hate a paper cut? Uh, running out of toilet paper. When people are too obsessed with their phone. Brussels sprouts. Peas. Why peas? What did peas do wrong? Anyone here hate peas? What? Why? Peas are great. Uh, YouTube ads. Yeah, definitely. Tax season. Okay, unless you work in the tax industry, it's terrible for the rest of us, right? What are some of the things you hate? Because we all have things we hate. We grow up in houses where, you know, there's things that you just shouldn't do. For me, I grew up in a house where my dad absolutely hated morning breath. So there was just a rule in a house. If you wake up, the very first thing you had to do was go and brush your teeth. You dare not run up and hug him and kiss him in the morning if you have not brushed your teeth because he sent you right back to the bathroom. Like, go brush your teeth. You know I hate that, right? I'm married to a woman now who hates the sound of sipping. And so you mustn't sit near to her and then slurp. Oh, my word. If you want to see her lose all the love in her heart, just go sip a, sup a cup of coffee in fact, some of you, she's not in the service, so just test it one day, and you'll see. Uh, I discovered while I was preparing the sermon on Thursday, we had no power here at the church, so I found a little coffee shop with free Wi-Fi, and I discovered something that I truly do hate, because as I was sitting there prepping, a guy walks in, sits on the other side of the restaurant to me, and the entire time I could hear him smacking his food. I tell you, and I'm busy prepping this, like, what do you hate? I'm like, I hate that. Like, I hate what that is. I don't want to hear him from the other side of the restaurant. It, it was awful. I was like praying, like, God, give me control. I was like, should I just leave and try find another place? Like, I don't know if I can stand this for the whole meal. And like, how long is he going to take to finish that food? Like, he was, I've never heard anyone like that, mouth open, loud and proud, just smacking away. I can confidently say, I hate that, Right. What are some of the things you hate? Because we all have stuff. In fact, here's a follow-up question. Is there anyone that you hate? Are there people that you hate? Now, be careful when you answer that because no one's going to know besides you. This is something you're answering in your heart. You may as well be honest. Right? May as well be honest. Because we all know what hate feels like. Even if you say there's no one you hate now, you've definitely felt hate towards people. Like as we're growing up in our life, we know what hate feels like. There's a story that's told of a six-year-old girl. And uh, she was sent to her room because she was misbehaving. And so she gets to her room and she writes her parents a note. And she says, dear mom and dad, I hate you. Love, Nicole. <laughs> 
We all know what that feels like to be so upset with someone in the moment that like, I just hate you right now. Maybe you've heard those words from your spouse, from your parents, from a child, from a friend, from a work colleague. We know what hate feels like. And the Bible deals with hate many times in Scripture. In fact, the word hate or all its forms, hatred or hateful, it's mentioned 183 times in the Bible. This is a topic well covered in Scripture. This is what Paul would say in Galatians 5 when he says it's a fruit of the flesh that we hate. Right back to even in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, we see God saying, hey, you will not, you may not hate your brother or your sister. And yet, we hate. We experience hate, every single one of us. Hatred takes on many forms, and we see it in the Bible. It expresses itself in many different ways, sometimes through mocking or through yelling or through swearing or through persecution or through avoiding or through shunning. And there's two ways that hatred can really touch your life. One is when hatred is directed to you, and the other is when hatred is coming from you. One of those things you can't avoid and you can't do anything about. And the other one, you can do something about. You can't do much about when people hate you, because it's probably going to happen. But whether or not you hate someone else, well, that is really much in your control and something that Scripture speaks into. In fact, I want to look at both of those things. What happened when hatred is coming to you and what happens when hatred is coming from you? So let's look at the first. What should you do when hatred is coming to you? Because according to Jesus, if you follow him, it's coming. According to Jesus, something that Jesus almost promises again and again and again is some form of persecution against you. Look at someone and encourage them with this truth and say, hatred is coming. If you haven't felt it yet, it's coming. Hatred, in fact, you could almost call it the occupational hazard of being a Christian. Like it's just part and parcel of following Jesus. Jesus would say it this way, speaking in the upper room in John 15 verse 19. Jesus said, the world would love you as one of its own if it, you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. The world hates you because you won't walk like it and talk like it. You won't believe what it believes. You won't follow its values and systems. And so it hates you because you believe it's wrong, and it doesn't like that. And nowadays, it doesn't take a lot, right? It doesn't take a lot of biblical belief to be hated by the world. All you have to do is believe in the biblical account of creation or belief that life begins at conception or belief that sex is reserved for a man and a woman and only within a covenant of marriage. Oof. And you're hated. Right? You're name called. You're, you're, you're a bigot. And you're narrow-minded. And you're old-fashioned. Right? It doesn't take a lot in fact, it's getting worse and worse, and this is one of the signs of the end times. More hatred is coming. More persecution is coming. The world is going to completely turn against Christians and Christianity even more than it does now. In fact, what's so weird now is that it's almost like we celebrate immorality and we penalize morality. 
And growing up was, wasn't like that. Now, if you are, let's say, if you're an atheist, and uh, if you drink a lot and sleep around and use terrible language and you're a bit greedy and you're just like overly ambitious and you don't care about people, the world will probably look at you and be like, oh, that's great. You be you. Just do what you want, right? And then you say, well, what I want is to follow Jesus and be a Christian. And well, now suddenly it's not okay. Don't be you, right? That's not okay. Don't believe those things. And so what we see is like, you can be anything and it's okay unless you're a Christian. We've already seen this turn from the world against Christians and our beliefs. And that's what Jesus said would come. It's coming and more of it is suddenly coming. And so what should you do when hatred comes your way? Well, the answer is actually very simple. The problem is living that out is very difficult. The answer is simple. Jesus had made it so bite-sized. We can understand it. We can hear it. It's not complicated in any way, but living it out, well, that's where, for many, the issue comes. So what did Jesus say when people hate you, you should do? Well, he actually mentions this in the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew chapter 5, and this is what it says from verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives a sunlight on both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors can do that much. If you can't to only your friends, well, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans can do that. So what we see is that there will be people who will curse you and persecute you and be against you. And Jesus says, what I want you to do with these people is love them. And in this series, we've been looking at how do we love like Jesus? And the question becomes today, how do we love the haters? Like, how do we love the people that are against us, persecuting us, uh, they, they're cursing us out. They're, they're not for us. Like, how do we love the people that are against us? And Jesus makes it very clear. And he tells us three things in that section of Scripture there in Matthew 5. And the first is this. Bless those who curse you. Look at someone and say, just bless them. Bless those who curse you. You know what this means? It means that you say something else instead of retaliating, instead of reacting, that you think of blessing. Now, we all know that when someone comes and they're like aggressive and they're like picking a fight with us and they're, you know, when someone comes with that attitude, straight away, isn't it amazing how quickly we can respond in that same spirit? So quickly, we can be like, well, you think that's attitude, let me show you attitude. Like the, the moment someone comes and they wanna cut us down, they wanna say harsh words, they wanna insult us, isn't it amazing that your brain in like three milliseconds can think of a comeback and be like, whoa, you think that was harsh? I'll show you what harsh is, right? And we like, we meet that retaliation with retaliation. Jesus would say, don't do that. Bless them if they curse you. In Proverbs 15 verse 1, it says that a gentle answer deflects anger, 
but harsh words makes tempers flare. In other words, you got to think of what is the end result you want? Do you want a household now where tempers are flaring? Well, then give harsh words. Do you want a household where the, the tension has been brought down, where love abounds, where it's peaceful? Well, then use gentle words. You really have a choice. As someone is in conflict with you, what do I want to add to this? What's my response going to be? Because I know my natural response is I'm going to be harsh because you are harsh. But Jesus, God says, no, 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 bless them. In fact, there was a study done at a college called Kenyon College. And uh, here's what they discovered in this study, in the social study. That when someone shouts at you, the person who was shouted at will almost always shout back at the same volume and try and match the tone, if not greater, right? And this is just how we responded to him. When we shouted at, we often, well, I'm going to match that volume. I want to match that tone. Your tone is too harsh. I'm going to be as harsh. And so what they found in this study is that you can stop yourself from be, becoming angry. If someone's shouting at you, you can stop yourself from becoming angry just by intentionally having a gentle response. Right, so when they shout at you, if you just stay gentle and you say, I'm not going to try and match your tone, I'm not going to try and match your volume, it actually stops you from internally becoming angry. Isn't that great? I, mean, I just love how more and more and more like psychiatry is even catching up to scripture and they're discovering it's so true that a gentle response turns away wrath. And so in your life, you know, a gentle response, it can turn away wrath. Bless those who curse you. Second thing, Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. Look at someone and say, just do some good. I don't know, can, can you think of someone right now who's against you? Can you think of someone who just doesn't like you? I don't know if they've like blocked you on like WhatsApp and unfriended you. Oh, can you believe they unfriended you like? Someone who's like, hey, I want nothing to do with you. I never want to see you again. I'm cutting you out of my life. I just want you to think of those kinds of people in the history of your life that have just cut you off. They're against you. They're angry with you. They're offended with you. What would Jesus say? Bless them. Do good to them. Now, often that's not our response, right? What are we doing? We're sitting in our home and be like, well, I'll be open to it when they make the first move. Like if they come and say sorry and ask for forgiveness, of course I'll forgive them. Uh, no, Jesus doesn't put the ball in their court. He puts it in yours. It's like, hey, if you know someone that is against you, you do something good to them. The next move is yours, not theirs. So do something good. What good can you do? I don't know. Why did you send them a gift? Buy them a present. Put a little note on it saying, hey, I know we got off on the wrong foot. I just want you to know, hey, I'm here. I'd love a coffee. I would send this over WhatsApp, but you blocked me, so now I'm just doing it. <laughs> Why don't you send them a gift and say, hey, like, I, I just want to encourage you. I just want to remind you that God loves you, and I'm for you, and maybe it hasn't always seemed like that, but I really do have your back. I don't know. Like, who is against you? The next move is yours. Jesus says, do good to that person. Do some good to them. And finally, Jesus says, 
Pray for those who persecute you. Look at someone and say, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for the people that are persecuting you. Guys, it's so important that we bring these situations to God in prayer. And you know why? It's so good for you. Because when you put someone on your prayer list, it's really hard to keep them on your hit list. It actually, the work that God does in your heart, when you are praying for them now, what kind of prayers? You're not praying. Lord, strike them down with your mighty power. Bring the lightning from the sky. May they not make it to work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, when Jesus says, pray for them, that's not the kind of prayers. You meant to pray. I know you want to pray it. No, no, no. You're praying for their success. You're praying for their family. You're praying for God to do a work, for them to have an experience with Him. You're praying for their prosperity. You're praying for blessings over their lives. Pray for them. It does something in your heart when you commit them to pray. You know, uh, a few years ago, I got into business with a woman a lot older than me. I was in my late 20s. And we got into business together. And uh, I, I tell you, things went south. I just couldn't stand her. Very, very quickly, things just, man, she, I just found her difficult to work with. She misunderstood like everything. She changed her mind every five seconds. She was unreliable and judgment. Like I just, I just, my irritation started to turn to like anger, right? And I can honestly say my anger just over the time, I, I hated her. Like I got to a place where like, I hate you. And I was so surprised by my own reaction because I've always thought I'm a quick forgiver. Like I've always thought like I've had a childhood that taught me how to forgive quickly and how to let go of offenses because I went through so much stuff. So, but I, it caught me off guard because it was just this constant thing. And like, I couldn't forgive her quickly enough. She just kept on offending me. And so I was just like stewing in my hate. And I just didn't like her. I didn't want to do business meetings anymore. I was just like, oh, everything was just a drag. I thought, you know, if she, if she got hit by a car one day, I just, I wouldn't even attend the funeral. It'd probably be because I'd be in jail for driving the car, but like, like that's where I, that's where I was. Okay, so you know, I know what hate feels like. Totally, totally irritated with it. And I just knew this is not good. Like, this is not good. I, I was a youth pastor here, so like, it's not good. Like, it's not a good look on the church and as a pastor, but just as a child of God, like, this is not okay. I didn't like the feeling because I wasn't used to it, having so much resentment against another human being. And so I knew I had to do something, and I decided I'm going to just pray into this. And so what I would do is every time we had a meeting, which was like most days in the afternoons, I'd have to go meet her, I would park the car, and I literally did this. I would grab the steering wheel, and I would just pray this. It was like a mantra I'd pray. I'd say, God, help me love her. God, help me love her. God, help me love her. And then when I thought I could probably stand to see her, I would go to the meeting. The next day again, just standing, God, help me love her. Like, you know, I have nothing in me, but you, you got love, like, help me love her, right? What was amazing is over time, our relationship began to be restored. We started working so well together. We stayed in business together. In fact, she actually hit me up on, uh, on uh, Facebook like three months ago saying, hey, I've got this business idea. Would you like to do this? Like, now... When I look back, you know what I realized? Is she didn't change much. No, honestly, my prayers did nothing on her. 
But every time I prayed, God was changing me. He was changing my tolerance. He was changing my understanding. He was changing my love. Like, I, he changed me through the prayer. And that's why I think Jesus is saying, when people are persecuting you, when they're against you, pray. You pray for them. And you keep praying for them. Pray for good things. Pray for that relationship because you will change, essentially, you giving your heart to God and saying, God, do something with this because I can't change it. I'm hard of heart. I'm brokenhearted. I'm frustrated. He'll change you if you pray. And so when you see hate coming towards you, bless and not curse. Do some good. Pray for people because if you don't do this, what you will find is you will grow an enemy inside of you. And I promise you the enemy inside of you will be far worse than the enemy you're facing. You will grow inside of you an enemy of anger, of bitterness, of unforgiveness, of frustration, an enemy of offense. And if you are living with that offense and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, you are creating a far worse enemy than anyone in your life could be. And the only way to defeat it is to love it away. Love it away. If you have an issue with someone, love it away. Look at someone and say, love it away. Don't give it power. Don't give that hate power. It only wins if you give into it. It only wins if you obey it. So respond with love when hate is directed to you. And when you do this, you're really showing which family you belong to. You know, there's that old saying like father, like son. That should be said of Christians. When they look at how you live, they'd be like, oh, hey, I think I've met your dad because I can see him in you. The way you speak and the way you act and your mannerisms resembles our father in heaven who is love. In 1 John 1, uh, 3 verse 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. When you respond in love, when you love those who are hateful, you're showing them what God looks like and how, who God is and how God operates like father, like son, like father, like daughter. Love it away. In John 3, 35, Jesus actually said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. This will be the differentiator. This will be the thing that sets you apart, your love for each other. Now, I know as we read a verse like that, it's so tempting for us as Christians to be like, well, I've heard that before. Right? I mean, these are verses we've heard thousands of times. And I think sometimes we can come to Scripture and be like, well, what's a new verse? What's a new thought? What's a new revelation? But guys, Let's not move on to the new if we haven't even done the old. Like it's not just about us getting more and more head knowledge. It's about us putting into practice what we've heard. And sometimes the greatest spiritual growth is going to be found in actually putting these old verses into practice. By this, they will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for each other. So that's how you respond when hatred is directed to you. You bless, you do good, you pray. But what about when hatred is coming from you? When you're feeling the hatred for someone else. I love this interaction that happens in Luke chapter 9. It's so relatable. And here's what happens from Luke 9 verse 51. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messages ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village 
did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And that's not where they worship. When James and John saw this, they said, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you don't realize what your hearts are like. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. For me, this is one of the most human and probably most humorous stories in the New Testament. Because here what we see is this really earthly, angry response coming from James and John. Now you'd almost expect this kind of response to come from disciples like Thomas or Judas, right? But it comes from the inner circle of Jesus, James and John, like the people that were close to Jesus. Come on, John, who we know is a beloved disciple, isn't he the one that's supposed to like, everything's about love and walk through love. And he's like, Jesus, they rejected you. Let's blow up the village. You know, it's like, what? It's like discovering that your, your old auntie swears, right? You're like, Danny Marty? Like, why did she, right? Like, and you got the same reaction. Like, this is James and John? They're like, Jesus, they didn't like you, so let's nuke them. Like, what? Right? But what we see is really a prejudice they had towards the Samaritans because the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans this went right back to King Solomon. They had become like a sect within Judaism, and, and they didn't follow the right customs. Their worship wasn't good. They, did, they didn't do things according to Scripture. So they, they were wrong in many ways in their belief and their custom and their worship. Their worship wasn't God-honoring worship. And yet, Jesus responds to the disciples who were showing hate in such a direct way, and there's there's three things that Jesus does that I think should happen to us if we are showing hate. And the first thing is that the hate is rebuked. Look at someone and say, rebuke the hate. When we are showing hate, our words should be rebuked. In Revelation 3.19, it actually says that those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, what's amazing to me is that the Samaritan worship was false worship. They were a cult and they were wrong. And yet, Jesus doesn't go rebuke the Samaritans. He rebukes the disciples who were showing hate towards the Samaritans. And here's the truth is you can't force your beliefs onto someone else. And yes, they were sinning. And yes, they were wrong. And yes, they had misunderstood scripture. But hating them was even worse. Hating them for their belief was even worse. And so if hate is coming from you because someone doesn't believe the truth, well, what you're doing is even worse than unbelief. You're showing hate. And so if a believer says something in your midst that is against someone or against a group of people, if they say something hateful, you have every right to rebuke them. Say, hey, stop that. That's not how we operate, and that's not who we are, and that is not showing the love of Christ. Rebuke it. Second thing that Jesus did that I think we should do if hate is coming from us is we need to check our hearts. Look at someone and say, check your heart. Actually, Jesus said exactly these, these words. He says, don't you realize what your hearts are like? Don't you realize what your hearts are like? I could almost imagine him saying to James and John, guys, like, yes, you're displaying great faith because you believe fire can come from heaven and you're displaying 
great biblical knowledge because you know God can do that. But where's the love? Like, yes, you know the scriptures, but is there love in your heart? There might be scriptures in your head, but is there love in your heart? Because that matters more. To, Jesus is far more interested in your attitude than he is your aptitude, right? In the book of 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter in the Bible of love, it tells us that I could do all these great things. I can move the mountains and I can prophesy and I can speak in the tongues of angels. But if I do not have love, it's meaningless and empty. It's like a clanging of a bell. It just does nothing. It means nothing. And I wonder how often for us, if the same can be true, like there's scripture in our head, but there's no love in our hearts. Like we know all these things and we're always trying to get new knowledge and more knowledge, but like if there's no love in our hearts, then what's the point? Because that God gives priority over the knowledge in your head. He's more concerned about the love in your heart. And the third thing he does, and I think he asks us to do the same, is that at some point our prejudice must be surrendered to God. Look at someone and say, surrender your prejudice. You know, whenever you have a prejudice against a group of people, when you always talk about them as one collective group and you have nothing good to say about them and you believe like those people and that culture or that group or that language, when you speak about that, you're forgetting God's purpose for their lives. And I want to remind you what Jesus said to these disciples, that the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but instead to save them. But these disciples were so blinded by their prejudice, they couldn't see God's purpose anymore. And that's what prejudice does. Prejudice is the beginning of hate, and it will blind you to God's purpose for their lives. So what people group are you against? Because your prejudice will blind you. And what is God's purpose? Well, he tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, that says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone in this room, everyone watching right now, everyone listening to this, he wants us to come to repentance. That is his purpose for your life. And God's purpose must always trump your prejudice. But we have this horrible thing where we meet people we look at them up and down. We kind of size them up. Oh, you're rich. Oh, you're poor. Or you're good looking. You're, or you're ugly. Hey, you dress well. Hey, you dress badly. Hey, you're a white person. Oh, you're a black person. Oh, you're an Indian person. Oh, you're an Afrikaner. Oh, yes, an Engelsman. Oh, we just go through it. Oh, you, you're a homosexual. Oh, no, you're someone who's overly religious. Like we just go through it. And I wonder if we can stop saying, hey, you're a this person and a that person and a this person and just say, hey, you're a person. You're just a person, and God has a purpose for your life, and I don't want my prejudice to blind me to the purpose that God has for you. Because I know no matter what you are, and whatever your background and preference and lifestyle, I know God still has a purpose for you, and He wants that purpose fulfilled. He wants you to come to repentance. And I don't want our prejudice to get in the way of that. And, and I mean, we've got to be honest, in a country like ours, there's a history of prejudice. And I wish it was gone, but we know it's not, right? It's why I love a church like this. Guys, you give me hope. New Life Church gives me hope every single Sunday morning when I come and I look around and I say, look at this. This is what heaven looks like. Every tribe and tongue and nation 
worshiping one God, all identifying as children of God. It's beautiful to see, beautiful to see. But we mustn't think, I guess, that we can sit here and just because we're here, we have no prejudice. No, it's often there and it can undermine what God's plan is for their lives because listen to this. Listen to what happens later in Scripture. It is John in Acts chapter 8 who gets sent where? To Samaria. And he ministers the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there in Samaria, the very village he wanted to nuke, a great revival breaks out and many come to the knowledge of Jesus. Now, if he had allowed his prejudice to win, there would be no village to minister to and there would be no people for revival to break out. And that's what happens when you let your prejudice win. He went to the very people he wanted just to die and he started seeing them as people and he ministers Jesus Christ and they come to knowledge of the Lord. And, and this is obviously what the, the devil wants. He, he wants your prejudice to divide and he wants you to stop seeing people as people, but there, there are people who are worthy of the love of God. And as I close, I want to remind you that love is not a feeling. Because I, I, I always struggle with this, right? I'd be like, well, there's this person, I can't stand them. They irritate me, our personalities clash, I know what they've done, I don't think they're good people. Like, how do I sit at home and turn my heart to say, oh, they're great now. Like, oh, they're lovely now. Like, how do I trick my mind and my emotions to think they're a great person, but that's actually not what it is. Because love is not a feeling. What is love, church? It's an action. So here's what God wants you to do is regardless of how you feel, yes, you know their stuff. And yes, you know that perhaps they've done terrible things and maybe they are awful people. You don't have to think they're great. You've just got to love them. Love is action, which means I'm going to serve them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to do good to them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to show them love, even though inside I might still be struggling with all these emotions. I'm going to love them through my action because love is not a feeling. You have to wait there and like, oh, I'm only going to do something when I feel mushy and warm towards that person. That will never happen. But love them anyway. Show them love. And so when hate comes towards you, here's what Scripture encourages you to do. Bless those people. Bless them. Do good to them. Right? Get them a gift or something. Pray for them. And when hate is coming from you, I hope you get rebuked. I hope you do. I hope you check your heart. Hey, you might know a lot of stuff, but is it love? And I hope you surrender your prejudice to God. In fact, can I ask you to close your eyes for a moment? I want to invite you right now to surrender your prejudice to God. Who are you against? Who are you angry with? Who's against you? Maybe the first thing you need to do today is just bless them. Say a prayer for them. That person that's against you, can you think of something right now good to do? Like what good thing can you do to bless them, to help them? Maybe you realize you're sitting on hate. 
Well, in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to rebuke that hate in your heart and just say, stop it. God loves those people. He has a plan for them and a purpose for them. And your hate and prejudice against them should not undercut God's purpose and plan for their life. Surrender your prejudice. God, I want to pray for your children. You know them, God. You know every single one of them by name. God, you know them out of hate in this room. I pray, God, that we would learn to move past those feelings. God, that we would show love, even when we don't feel it in our emotions, that we would be loving, God, that we would be kind, that we would bless, we would pray for. God, help us love well. God, change us, transform us. May your word make us live different to how we're living today, I pray. In fact, with every eye closed, I believe there's some of you today that you're, real, you're, you're realizing that you need to come to repentance, that that's God's will for you, that you haven't yet done that. And it, perhaps you've never decided to become a Christian. You've never given your heart to the Lord, but you realize you're ready to do it now. Well, I'm not gonna make you do anything embarrassing or big. I just wanna pray for you and I wanna know who I'm praying for. So if that is you, if you wanna give your heart to the Lord today, just put up your hand and then put it down. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, yes. Beautiful hands all over the room. Beautiful, thank you, what God is doing. We're gonna pray for those right now who put their hands up. And as a sign of love and family, I want us to all pray together. And so let's say these words out loud. Repeat this after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Today I repent of everything I've done outside of your will. Please forgive me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you that you are the Son of God, that you lived and died and rose again. And so today, I give you my life. You are my Lord. I am a Christian now. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Can we give those people a hand that prayed that for the first time? Yeah, so good. That's what it's about. And if you did pray that on your way out, there's going to be people standing at the door with some flyers. Please take one. They're free. Just gives you some guidance for what to do now. And perhaps you're online or watching through a podcast or TV or radio. You guys are welcome to go on our website and you'll get the same information. Just click the button that says salvation. Well, we're going to praise God one more time as we leave. So before you go, let's stand to our feet and let's worship God one more time.